You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best-selling author, MC, and two-time Grammy-considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart-provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. I've been working with this man for eight or nine years, eight or nine years, and I didn't know how special he really was until lately. I've been doing this homework on this guy, and he is incredible. And, um, you know, without further ado, please welcome my good friend, Mr. Rex Roy in the studio with me right now. What is going on, buddy? Thank you, man, for having me. (laughs) I really appreciate you. Hey, listen, we didn't have to lose our jobs. For you to finally come in and do one of my podcasts. Well, I know, but you know what? You were doing this podcast before you lost your job. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for coming in here. Uh, you know, you started a brand new business because of all this. I did. But we're not going to talk about the business until the second episode. All right. Okay? Because you have such a cool story. I mean, you have been working in event marketing, um, uh, not not even uh, event marketing, but I get so excited just thinking about it. But you were even published for the first time at 19 years old. You've been around this business for a long time. Long time. And I actually started working full-time uh, summers yeah. when I was 14. So I had already been working for five years before <laughs> I got my first article published when I was 19. So you were going to school. I was going to school. And yeah. going to work. And going to work. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, I used to get in trouble. Don't they have laws about that now? Uh, no, no. You can actually do it because at 14, you're legal to work. Okay. But I actually used to cut classes at the end of the day uh, as soon as I could drive. So when I was 16, yeah. to actually go down to my dad's company and work because they gave me a real job. Right, yeah. And I, I mean, even then I realized... Real jobs way more important than going to school. <laughs> I learn way more when I'm down there, right? Working with real people in the real world, yeah. Than I do in school. So, what was your passion back then? Was it because I know you as a as a writer, right? I mean, you've done some you know talks and speeches and, and programs for some of the biggest names out there. What was your first love? I mean, cars. Because, it was cars. Cars. So. Um, the agency where I worked was a was a Detroit ad agency, uh-huh. and they that company had the Chrysler account. Okay, and I was always into cars. You know, my dad would get a new car just like a lot of people did every couple of years. Right, and I can remember being six or seven years old. He'd get the new car, and I'd go out and I'd sit in it in the garage and I'd read the owner's manual. <laughs> Come and on, you were that guy. I was I was that guy. So <laughs> while other kids were looking at baseball cards, yeah. you know, and they would follow the lions and stuff. I would memorize car stats. Wow. And the job I had when I was 16, I was actually at the agency what they called a product information specialist. So I was responsible for, you know, pulling together, aggregating all the product information on uh, the Chrysler cars and their competitors. And I would put spreadsheets together that they'd use, you know, for sales training or for, you know, for, for product catalog, stuff like that. In high school. In high school. So what was that like for you? Because there are, I'm sure that there's people out there watching right now that you're, you're teenagers, not knowing what you even want to do when you grow up, but you have a passion for something. Obviously, you had a passion. I had a passion. How was it for you being so young? 
but wanting and, and working with older people. Because I'm sure that these older men and women were like, you're 15 years old. Who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, um, I, I was uh, the boss's son. Okay. And, and so in a sense, the people down there were stuck with me. <laughs> gotcha. But on the, on the flip side, I really honestly cared and I was good at it. And I am kind of a savant with, with stuff like that. Okay. Um, you know, it's not a terribly impressive savant-like quality to, well, you know, memorize car stats or whatever. But um, I, I cared, and those adults modeled for me something that, I've, that I have really continued to try to do in, in my entire life. Yeah. Which is, those people knew more than I did. That's and right. I wanted to know what they knew. Amen. And I, I, I wanted to learn from them. And so I was absolutely, you know, not the bratty, you know, know-it-all kid. Yeah. Although I'm sure I was bratty sometimes. <laughs> but I, I was really that kid that wanted to learn. And these people showed me how. And I actually still run into people that I worked with when I was literally a kid. Wow. And they actually still talk to me. <laughs> Which that is so neat. I'm kind of surprised by, but I'm really grateful for. So, so you know, writing was something you loved, but um, then it 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 came after the product stuff. Okay, because I knew the cars so well. Yeah, and I was in an ad agency. Well, what do you learn next? Well, I learned how to shoot cars. Right, and I learned how to shoot from professional photographers, and then I learned how to write from professional writers. They helped me develop that. Okay, so. You love taking photos, too. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Matter of fact, you love it so much that you don't know that I have this right now. But oh, I have, man. I have your book right here. There we go. I had it. Now, now they're not even out anymore. I think, I th- I think you, they're we sold out. sold out. Yeah, you sold out. Yeah. So I had to buy this on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. From somebody else. So I want to make sure that I get uh, an autograph on this. Absolutely. So, so tell me a little bit about this and this project. Because I didn't even know that that you were an author. So that because I mean, it is filled with all kinds of there's like, some cool stuff in cool, there. Cool, cool stuff. And, and you took all all the photos and everything, right? I I did not. I oh, took, you didn't. I took most of them. Okay. Uh, there were two other photographers, uh, John Martin, who's a local guy who I have actually become friends with over the years, and uh, Bobby Alcott was another shooter that used to be local, and uh, he's now on the East Coast. And uh, those guys shot a number of chapters, but I shot about half of them myself. What was that like putting your own, your first book together? Well, it's interesting. Kind of a parallel situation. So in 2004, I got laid off from another agency. <laughs> and I was looking for ways to reinvent myself. Yeah. And I pitched Motorbook Publishing on this idea for a book. Okay. And they bought it. And it ended up morphing into that project. Right. It was actually going to be a business book on why the Aztec, the Pontiac Aztec yeah. failed. <laughs> and GM said they were going to support me, then they changed their mind and I had to quick come up with another idea that would sell. That one that one worked and What was that like going to the different garages in the Detroit metro area? Oh, it was finding the these little hidden treasures. You know, the the car hobby is a really interesting hobby because it is um the people seem to be really blind um, to what you have. Right. I mean, I don't have a car collection. I was I just going to ask you, do you collection. have a car collection? No, no. I mean, I, I drive a 2004 Lincoln LS. <laughs> you know, my car costs less than my Mac computer. 
But these guys were letting me into their multi-million dollar collections. Yeah. And to a person, they were the most down-to-earth and welcoming yeah. and pleasant folks. Um, it was it was it was it was terrific, and actually several of them I still keep in contact now. That's and, so neat. Um, even though you know the book came out in two thousand seven, and half the garages don't exist anymore. You wow. know the collections have been sold. Yeah. Uh, even the Chrysler Museum out in Auburn Hills is closed now. Who would have thought that would have right closed exactly? Um, but yeah, uh, guys sell their collections. The cars trade out, or guys move, or you know, divorces happen. Yeah, uh, and so that's really an interesting picture in time of Detroit in 2007. And now I'm sure there are 20 more very cool garages we could <laughs> right. take a look at. <laughs> so, so you've traveled all over the world too, doing doing your passion. So, because I wouldn't call it work. I wouldn't call your job a work, would you? Because they always say a man or a woman does not work a day in their life. It, if they love the, what they do. You know, I, I do love what I do. Yeah, I know and, you do. You know, writing is a ball. But I will tell you that when, um, you know, my last job at Jack, it wasn't unusual to work a, a 70, 80, 90, or even 100-hour Right. <laughs> you do get really tired. Mm-hmm. But I had come off a career going into Jack Morton. I, I spent eight years as an automotive journalist, and that's when I did most of my traveling. Okay. And when you're a freelancer, so I had to sell every story. And, you know, I was I was trying to do six, eight, ten features a month. So you're calling editors, you're 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 trying to network, you're trying to get your pieces placed, yeah. you're trying to find new content. And man, it was a hustle, but it was a ball. So I saw a picture of you in a Bugatti. Yeah. And then I read in in, in, in like the, the tagline was uh, driving at 188 miles per hour. Is that true? Did where, did you have that thing up to 188 miles per hour? Yeah, on a two-lane that was about as wide as a McDonald's drive through <laughs> Where was that at? So, yeah, tell me the story. There were, um, I kind of earned my chops with the folks at Bugatti because um, they brought a Bugatti Grand Sport, a Veyron Grand Sport, which is a convertible, okay. to the metro Detroit area. And because I was in a lot of different publications, they went, ah, We'll go to Rex, and Rex will get us in these publications. It'll be less work for us. So made that happen, did the story, and it, and it worked wonderfully. Right. And about a year later, they invited me to Spain <laughs> to be one of right around 30 people that got to drive the Supersport. Wow. So the regular Bugatti had whatever it had, 1,000 horsepower. The Supersport had 1,200 horsepower. The thing was an animal, you right. know, uh, 260-something miles an hour. It was crazy. And they uh, they put us up in this uh, Spanish uh, hunting lodge. And, you know, we're outside of uh, Seville. And it's beautiful, rolling, farming country. And we're there. They had three super sports. So that's like $10 million <laughs> worth of car. And they went, blue one's yours. Went, great, I'll take it. And... When you drive a Bugatti, you always have a chaperone. Okay. And so my chaperone... Now, why is that? Well, because the car is so powerful, um, and it is, it is, it's, you just need to be careful when you're driving it, because okay. it's the kind of car that its performance could get away from you. Gotcha. And um, they just want to make sure that they've got somebody there watching their asset. I mean, you know, if I had something, a car that was worth $2 million, I'd want somebody to drive with it too, right? right. <laughs> and uh, my, um, my chaperone was a um, Le Mans driver 
named Pierre-Henri Raffinel. And he was fantastic. <laughs> and we were there on the very, uh, we were the last wave of press. And so nobody had balled the car up. Uh, you know, nobody had crashed or bent a rim or even anything minor. Yeah. But Pierre gave us this talk and he said, if you go off road, it will cost a quarter of a million pounds and you would feel very badly. <laughs> it's like, ah, well, that's a good warning to know. And then he said, it's your turn to drive. And I, I promised him from the beginning, said I'm a good student, I obey, right. I will do as you tell me. Rex, if, if you don't mind me asking just sure. real quick, and, and for the listeners out there, I've never driven a Bugatti, and maybe you have or have not. Did you drive on the left side, just like a car here in the States, or was the steering wheel on the right side? No, if you don't this, mind me asking. Yeah, this car was for um, most normal markets, not like the UK or Australia okay, gotcha. or Japan. So. I was on the left side, so okay. that made it a lot easier. Okay, so you got behind the wheel. So got got behind the wheel. You fire the thing up, <laughs> and it's sixteen cylinders, four turbochargers, <laughs> and it actually sounds like a NASCAR idling at about fourteen hundred revs. Wow! Ah, it was it's awesome sound. And you take off. It's got a uh, a Ricardo racing sequential gearbox. Okay. And so you hear the engine, and then you hear the whine of the pump for the hydraulics and the gearbox, and it's just it's it's fantastic. And you drive away, and it's not a big deal. It's an automatic. Yeah. So it's really it's not a big deal. And you drive around, and the car's got fantastic grip. It's all wheel drive, and it's really not a big deal. And we were on roads that were pretty much empty, and we just we had a ball. Yeah. And after ah, a couple hours of really hard driving, uh, Pierre looked at me and he said, would you like to drive very fast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, there is a series of things that you have to do, a, a key, a special key that you have to turn and a button that actually uncorks all the horsepower in the car. Okay. And so we went through that. And uh, he. So you pull over to do all that, right? Or no? While you're driving, I don't I, know. It was it was easy enough to do because it's right on the driver's okay. left hand side. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a big deal. I know it sounds crazy. I just never driven no, no, a Bugatti, no. oh, so I want to make sure course. I get the story right. And I hope I'm remembering it right. You know, <laughs> if I got it wrong, don't sue me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we get the thing set. We got all the juice ready to go, and we are on this. Uh, we come over the crest of a hill. And it's this straight two-lane, for as far as I can see, it had to be three or four miles. Right. Smooth, blacktop. Only problem is about half a mile up, I see a truck on my side. Yeah. Didn't seem to bother Pierre-Henri. So I said, you tell me what to do, and I will follow your instructions exactly. Yeah. He said, floor it. Went, cool. Pedal went down. <laughs> and when you floor... A super sport at 80 miles an hour, it's like launching from a light in a, you know, a Challenger Hellcat. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're back in the seat. And the car is just rocketing. And I'm coming up on that truck really fast. And I realize I'm coming up on it. It's a fruit truck. And they're like lemons or something in the background. <laughs> we go blowing by that guy. It had to be doing 140. I mean, we could have reached out and clicked his, wind, his uh, mirror or something right. going by. And Pierre-Henri just kept saying, Floor it, floor it, floor it, floor it, floor it. <laughs> and I didn't realize, he he knew that I wanted to hit 300 kilometers an hour. Uh -huh. So Pierre-Henri is watching the road and watching the spinometer, and I'm, I'm glued to the horizon. And at some point, he says, brake, 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 brake. 
And I followed his instructions yeah. and uh, lived to tell about it. So let me ask you this. I've often asked during interviews with NASCAR drivers, can you tell the difference between going fast and holy cow, I'm going fast? Did you ever feel like you were going 188 miles per hour in a Bugatti? Because obviously you were probably so focused on the wheel that you weren't looking at you know, any of the instruments. Well, I wasn't looking at the instruments this time, but... <laughs> One of the things I did uh, back in the early 90s, I had an opportunity to, to do a race called the Nevada Silver State. Okay. So Which the, is? Well, it's a 90-mile open road race, and the sheriffs in three different counties close this one road. It's uh, Highway 318. Right. And they close it for 100 miles. No cross traffic. Okay. And then they let cars go, and it's a, it's essentially a one-stage time-speed distance rally. Wow. And uh, there are cars in the unlimited class that get to go as fast as they want, but I was driving a 94 Corvette ZR1. My nice. speed was limited to 140 miles an hour. Okay. And so my goal was to drive 90 miles and average 140 miles an hour. I will tell you, by the time you get done driving 90 miles at 140 miles an hour, right. it feels like you're riding a you know a bicycle. Right, right. Uh, you have all of that sense of speed. Your brain is acclimated, and uh, it wasn't a big deal. The Bugatti was kind of the same way. I had been driving high-performance yeah, cars for years. Yeah, because that's 48 miles per hour faster than the Corvette oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. I, but it, so it just, it just felt good. It, it, it felt really good. But there was a certain security in the Bugatti. At about 150, yeah. um, the active aerodynamics on the car really come into play. So the car lowers itself on the suspension, wow. and then the wing and the air dam um, actually create more downforce. And it kind of felt like Zeus was pressing down on the car. I mean, the steering really stiffened up, noticeably stiffened yeah. up. And it went, huh car's taking care of me. This is pretty nice. So, Bugatti, Corvettes. Yep. What's, what are some of the other cars you've gotten to drive throughout the years of oh you being a journalist? Oh, um, I know I put you on the spot and didn't, because you did ask. Yeah, no, that's those, right. Those of you that, that want to know if this is, you know, did I give him all these questions before he came in the studio? And no, the answer is absolutely not. No, that's right. Well, let's see. You know, since since we're going for uh, uh, for kind of shock value, I got to drive a uh, an Audi R8 V10 oh, wow. Spider at Le Mans. Really? Yeah, yeah. I got to drive a 458 Italia. Got to drive a Lamborghini Gallardo. Wow! Um, all all versions of Corvettes. I got to drive the 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 newer. Well, the C7. Actually, gosh, no, it was that long ago. It was a C6, Z06, and ZR1. No kidding. Uh, so all, all that kind of fun stuff. What has been one of the your biggest accomplishments so far? You've been doing this 38 years. Yeah. 38 years. Yeah. I mean, we don't, at least I don't feel as old as I am. And when I look back and how much I've accomplished, I forget about half the stuff. I mean, you made me start realizing some stuff lately. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've done that. And I've done that. And I've done that. So you kind of forget What's one of your biggest accomplishments? And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking. It could be the the smallest thing or the biggest thing. Um, but for you, when you look back on your career as you are like right now, what's one thing that sticks out? Because I know as soon as you leave, you're going to be like, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. Yeah. But why why you're sitting here live on the air with me now, what's one thing that you can be like, you know, this was pretty cool? You know, I don't want to be sappy, but I'm going to be sappy. <laughs> 
the fact is that I'm still married after 38 years. And that I knew you were going to say this with you? your two daughters. Yeah, I knew and you were going to say your family. <laughs> and and my two girls actually like me. Yeah, it's like I I didn't grow up in a house where you know that kind of long term family thing was really important. Yeah, and so that's really my biggest, I guess, both surprise and accomplishment or surprise accomplishment. Yeah, on the on the on the business side, you know. I ran my own marketing services agency for a while. Mm-hmm. I even had a dyno shop, you know, really? a speed shop for a while. Yeah. So, so are you a car guy? Oh, I'm still a car guy. No, I mean, like, really, like, I mean, do you get your hands dirty? Not as dirty as a lot of people, but I mean, I still, I mean, I, I probably have more head knowledge than hand skill. Okay. But no, I've, I mean, I put headers on cars and carburetors on. Well, that's cars more than I do because being being in my business, people often say, "Oh, you know, you're you're around NASCAR, you're around drag racing, you're around IndyCar, you're around all these, you know, sports or motorsports stuff." Are you in the cars? And I'm like, no, I got yeah. a brand new Silverado, and there's a re- reason why I have a brand yeah. new Silverado because I don't want to do no work to it. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, one of the things I had one one of the cars I had early on, I had a Dodge. Colt station wagon. Okay. And that wasn't actually a, a Dodge. It was branded a Dodge, but it was actually a Mitsubishi. Okay. And um, I couldn't stand having a slow car, and my dad got it for me because it was slow, so I wouldn't get into trouble. Right. Uh, you know, nobody paid attention to what was coming in the mail back then, and I had a hooker header shipped. I bought twin Makuni side draft carburetors. You know, I got a sway bar from Adco. Yeah. All of a sudden, a set of Goodrich Comp TAs show up, and all of a sudden, I'm building this goofy Dodge station wagon <laughs> to be this total sleeper rocket. Right. And so these uh, uh, Makuni carbs that I put on, you would have to tune them all the time. And... Uh, I still remember how you how you do that. You'd actually stick your head in between the two carburetors, and you'd do the throttle linkage. And when you got stereo, you knew they were opening right. And so, yeah, I can do some hands-on stuff, but not like a lot of you guys. You know, you have been involved, in it, and it, like literally, we, we're done in like three minutes, three, four minutes. But one of the biggest projects, or at least I think it's one of the biggest projects, maybe it's because I'm from the Detroit area as well, but you were part of the team um, designing GM World. Oh, that was a Down, ball. Downtown. That was a ball. At the GM headquarters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so going down there, I get chills just thinking about GM World. What was that like for you to be part of the team that put that together, that you know that people from all over the world yeah. get to see? Yeah, it was. It was I mean, it's just, it's so cool. It was really neat. Uh, the company that I used to f- work for, Jack Morton. Yeah. Great company. Super talented people. Yeah. Um, you know, people that knew and still do. They know how to get stuff done. Right, yeah. And so we were awarded that business after GM World was finished. Okay. And our challenge was to go in and truly make it better. And so I had some ideas on how to make it better, and they were it – was, it was an uphill slog. Yeah. But we made it happen, and, and, it was, and it was great. We had a ball. We put in new displays. We made the existing displays work much, much better. And there's something just so satisfying because I'd go to meetings all the time in the Ren Center. Right. <laughs> and I'd always stop to watch the people interacting with the display. Yeah. And it's like, huh, that really did work. Yeah. You know, and that, and that was a really satisfying feeling. I got I got like literally a couple minutes, but you've written so many talks mm-hmm. or speeches, mm-hmm. uh, programs yeah. for people like me that I mean, you didn't write for me, but you, I mean, for people like me that get up and talk and they read your speeches. What's it like for you oh, as a writer to yeah. listen to your words 
being said through somebody else's mouth. I've always wanted to ask a writer that. You try to make it so that the other person isn't saying your words, they're saying their own and words. And I get that because you yeah. have to get to know that person very well. Yeah. Whoever that may be. Yeah. So that's part of the ha- half the battle, isn't it? Is getting to know them and writing for that particular person. Part of being a good writer, you have to be able to assume somebody else's voice. Yeah, and always tell a great story. You got to try. You always have to talk about that story. Yeah. So, so, but, but just to sit back and, and, and watch your stuff or hear your stuff. Do you still have one of your first or second um, articles that you ever wrote? You know what? I've actually looked and I don't, but I have a really funny story. One of the first pieces I got published in a magazine. Yeah. I was so excited about it. And, you know, I'm a newlywed yeah. and my wife and I were actually going to the farmer's market in Ann Arbor. If anybody out in Ann Arbor knows the Carytown market, it was there a long time ago, too. And uh, my story had just come out. We bought zucchini wrapped in the magazine that my first story was in. And wow. if that's not a humbling experience, wow. it was like, you know, <laughs> life has a really interesting way of uh, showing you what's important. Yeah, absolutely. A man that has done as much as you. And uh, what do you do for fun? When you want to get away from it all, what do you like to do? Oh, my goodness. You know what? Life is a lot of fun just regular. I mean, I, honestly, when I'm done working and I shut the computer down, yeah. uh, I've got an office down in the basement. I walk up the stairs and look at my wife and I go, honey, what am I cooking for dinner? <laughs> and You know she might be watching, so that's why you're saying it. No, honest does, to goodness. Does she at least give you a glass of wine when you come up from the basement? Yeah, if we're... If, <laughs> If it's the right dinner to go with the right wine we have, absolutely. I love it. But it's like, I love to grill. Yeah. And I didn't learn how to cook how to cook as a kid. Yeah. And so I've, I've started to learn as an adult. And I didn't realize how much I actually love it and yeah. how, much, how much pleasure there is being in the kitchen. And again, you know, with my girls and my son-in-law. Yeah. And uh, my younger daughter is going to get married in October. So her fiance. Everybody's always around. My 94-year-old mother-in-law. And it's like... We, we're not Italian, but we cook like a giant Italian family. And it's a ball. Yeah. You know, so you I, like to cook then? I do like to That's cook. That's something. I, and yeah. thank you so much for tweeting that question because I had no idea that he loved to cook. That's there one thing go. I didn't know about Lots you. Lots of surprises. <laughs> so one thing that, you know, we, we got to know you in the first episode. But I really want to talk about your brand new business. And uh, it's called My Career Snapshot. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, I, I got to know how it all came about. Sure. So I'm just going to give you the microphone. I'm going to let you tell me and all the listeners how and why you even got started. I mean, we, did you dream this up? Yeah, did you, actually. Oh, <laughs> I was just joking. No, no, no. I mean, it didn't come to me in a dream. Oh, okay. But, I got you. But so as uh, February, both of our careers were going great, guys. Yeah. I mean, we were both busy. I, you know, I was employed as a VP and a creative director, I, yeah. and I thought the rest of the year was going to be gangbusters. And then March hit, and our company really slowed down, took a pay cut, and I'm thinking, ooh, this doesn't look good. Right. And as the virus got worse and worse, um, and, the comp- and the country really, really shut down, it's like, okay, I got to be prepared for the worst, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brush up my resume. And I looked at my resume and I went, yeah, it's a good resume, but it's boring. 
you know, it's, it's just boring to look at. It doesn't communicate fast enough. Yeah. And so I wanted to develop something that would communicate just some key metrics of my career really quickly right. in kind of a fun way. Okay. And so I did. I called up a designer friend of mine <laughs> um, and asked her, I said, you know, these are the things that I'm thinking about putting together in this snapshot of my career. And she went, well, that's kind of a weird idea, but okay. And we did it together. It took about three weeks. Yeah. And I came up with what I call now my career snapshot. And, and it looks at all different aspects of my career and it's totally based in metrics. Yeah. And what I mean by metrics, it's, it's data. It's, you know, how many commercials have I written? How many videos have I produced? How many photographs have I How many miles have you driven? Sure. How many miles have you flown? Yeah. Um, Countries visited. So folks know that, you know, I've actually gotten around a little bit. Yeah. You know, things like that, that would matter to an employer so that somebody could look at that and go, I want to have a conversation with him. Yeah. And, and it really is designed, at least from my point of view, as being a conversation starter with people that can make decisions. What and, I liked about it, it was simple, not, not, not to interrupt, mm-hmm. but when I pick this up and I look at it, I'm the kind of guy that probably would not read a three-page resume. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sure. But I, would, I sat there and read this whole thing because it was easy. It was fun. Um, it took my eyes everywhere. There was pictures, yeah. you know, and that sounds kind of funny. Oh, did I have pictures? No. It, but it does. And, and, and that's, I would, if I had a bunch of resumes in front of me and this was on top, I would pick this up first. Yeah. But that's just my, well, me being me. But. So when I created this thing, I put it up on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. And, you know, I do not have a huge network on LinkedIn, but <laughs> right. the folks that were on it went, this is really cool. Right. And they um, responded in such a positive way. And several people came right out and said, this is so good. And it's not – they recognized that it's not to replace your resume. It really is a supplement to your resume. Okay, so it doesn't replace it. No. Okay, gotcha. Because people people still need to have – all those words, and when you when you when you make an application now, resumes get scanned by an application uh, an applicant tracking system. Okay, and so it uses artificial intelligence to scan for the right words to weed out you know the wrong people and hopefully identify the right people for okay. the job. But there's still a human component, and normally a hiring manager spends about six seconds looking at any single applicant. And I thought that well, would I rather have them read the first? two paragraphs of my resume or would I have a, rather have them spend six seconds looking at my snapshot? Yeah. And the response from my LinkedIn network, which included recruiters and hiring managers, went, no, no, snapshot's a great idea. It's an addition. It's an accoutrement okay. too. And it has worked like that. And then the LinkedIn network said, really, you got to make this available to people. Right. And nobody wants – People may want to know what I paid for my snapshot when I had the single one done, and I'm not telling. <laughs> right. But it was expensive. And I went, nobody's going to pay this amount of money for this. Right. But I'll bet they'll pay, yeah, 150 bucks maybe. Right. And so I worked with a designer who was also laid off from Jack Morton to come up with um, a simpler design that still could be personalized by somebody. And so we've got our, our uh, baseline product, product that's called the Next Gig yep. Career Snapshot that'll help you get your next gig. And 
it's it's simple. It's metric based. We still have graphics to go with many of the metrics, and we can get things these done in two to four days. Totally customized. Ten different color palettes that people can pick from. That's really cool. And it's so easy. And it's ten percent off right now. Ten percent off right now. Yep. Coupon code. <laughs> get noticed! Exclamation point. <laughs> yes, I am in marketing. <laughs> So yeah, 145 bucks. Now you can get it for you know 135 dollars. So let me with, that, that's great with 25 bucks off that. Oh really? 20 yeah okay. yeah. The coupon code is actually for 25 bucks off the 135 dollar discount. Oh, so that's even better. I didn't know that. Nice discount on top of discount. Nice. Well, that's perfect. And then the next gig is called the director gig. Sure. Now now what's the difference between the next gig and the director gig? Sure. It is simply more design time. Um, the next gig is actually based on a template. Okay. And so we've got a template for a landscape. We've got a template for a portrait style. So whether you want it sideways or up and down. And we've got uh, different options in that template for either 10 metrics or 12 metrics. When you move from the next gig up to the director gig, and then it's another step up to the senior gig, which would be more like what mine is yep it's just much more custom so there's no template we interview every customer every client and say what are you looking for have you got a color scheme that you like we take a look at their resume go through that we help them pull their metrics out and then we start to offer them ideas on on what their totally unique graphic could be okay let me ask you this and and there's probably people watching right now that are are thinking the exact same things as i am you're asking me what color to use. You're asking me what kind of graphics. No, no, no. I no. don't know. No, no, I'm not asking. I'm no, asking no, no. What I'm color just... do you like? Oh, okay. Be- because I'm sure that there are ways that you're like, hey, listen, that color really isn't uh, the right color to use for you. Like, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. One of, the, one of the things that I made sure, you know, when this relates back to what we talked about in the first episode. Yeah. So I've always tried to work with people that were smarter than me. That's right. And I still am. So um, I'm, I'm working with a couple of designers, um, and, and both of them are ex-Jack Morton people. Okay. And these guys are so good. They've worked on Fortune 50 brands. Wow. They've got um, – uh, the younger one has about a decade in the business. The older one has uh, almost as many years in as I do, maybe, maybe a couple of more. Yeah. These guys know their work. And they would, they would never um, let – unless they were forced – they would never let a client put a foot wrong in terms of designing something, you know, that didn't have colors that were appropriate or that wouldn't look good in front of an employer. Because you know what? That's really the goal here. We want people to get noticed so that they get hired. And, you know, while, while I want this to be, you know, a going concern in a real business, yeah. there's a social component to it, too. I mean, I mean, you know, because you haven't had much in the way of gigs just like I have. And I haven't worked in five months besides my show. <laughs> it's awful. It is. It feels terrible. Today, I, I actually just got, you know, my 12th Dear John letter. It's like, no, you didn't get that job you applied to. Right. It, but, but what's it, it, it like it's for still... you now, though, to get those letters? But wait a second. When If you talk about motivation, you talk about turning lemons into lemonade. Yeah. Now you're helping other people well, get gigs and get absolutely. work. Absolutely. And that's got to feel just amazing. It's 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 really neat. I mean, I'm excited for you. you I know, mean, that's really neat. The clients that we have that we've gotten feedback from uh, have gotten 
great response from it. And, you know, I personally have been using it, and I've been getting great response. Now, it hasn't yeah. gotten me a full-time gig, but it has kicked open a lot of doors that I am 99% sure wouldn't have opened right. if they hadn't seen my snapshot. Yeah. I mean, it's really just that simple. So, so now, you said it's just part of the resume. Is, is the resume writing part of this program, or is it just this? Right now, it's just this. Okay. But there is something interesting that we've noticed when we go to develop this, yeah. what ends up happening, and it's just like the conversation that you and I had before, when you start thinking about your own career metrics, yeah. all right, what have I done? How many podcasts have I done? How many, how many motivational speeches yeah. have I given at how many different conferences? How many miles have you flown? You've flown more than I have. I've, you know what? When I, when I started thinking about that, the other day you grilled me. You know, you were back on the phone, and, and uh, you know, it's been over a million miles you know, almost 700,000 miles driven, you know, um, and I'm sure that there's a bunch that I forgot, you know, um, um, thousands and thousands of gigs that I've done, which means hundreds and hundreds of millions of people that I've spoken in front of. Sure. I mean, over 23 years, you start doing the math. It's a lot. And I got to be honest with you, I couldn't, I didn't know what that many zeros meant on some yeah. of the stuff that you'd asked me about. And so, and that was neat. If you were going to then redo your res uh, redo your resume, yeah. then what you do is you take these new metrics that you've kind of discovered on your own about yourself. Yeah. It's like, wow, I really did do that. Mm -hmm. That ends up finding its way back into your resume, and it actually makes your resume stronger because yeah. every resume expert that I've talked to said you need to have metrics in your resume so that when an employer looks at it, they know what you can deliver for them. Okay, so a person right now is going to, what's the website? It is mycareersnapshot.com. It's real easy. It's real easy. It's really so they easy. go there, they purchase the gig, Yep. and do they get like a questionnaire? Do, you, do they get a phone call from you or one of the other you know, uh, team members? I, how does that process work? Sure. The way it works um, for the most popular product, which is, which is the next gig, um, we have a, a, a link to a Google form, and and the customer gets the Google form, and it's written in this really conversational kind of kind of fun way, and it helps guide you through uncovering all your metrics. Yeah. And in the process of taking your information, because you know we need to have the email address that that you want employers to respond to. If you have a LinkedIn profile, or if you've got, say, you're a creative person and you've got a, a personal portfolio online. Yep. Because we release these things, the final product is a PDF. We make sure that those links are active, because people. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. Yeah. So when you send it out, yeah, all those links are active. So the person, the recruiter, looking at it, the employer looking at it, can click on those, and yep. they actually they're live. They're live. Oh, they're live that's links. sweet. Okay. Yeah. yeah Keep going. Thing. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's oh, pretty no, cool. No, that's right. It's it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun. And uh, thank you, Nick, for making that happen on each and every one of these. Um, and. And so they, f they, they fill that Google form out, and I have to thank my younger daughter, Hadley, because I was going to send people a PDF that they had to fill in, and she said, Dad, please, it's 2020. <laughs> Do a Google form. So done, I've, I've done the Google form, and they, and they filled that out, and when they hit the, hit the complete button on that, it actually populates a Google Sheet that gets sent to the next art director that is up for the project. Okay. And so all the data simply populates, and then we take that and we put it into the grid that the customer, or the template that the customer selected. Now, do you take any of that? Like, let's just say you got something from me. Sure. And you're like, ah, oh, the way he said that is not the way that 
I feel like it should be. Do you kind of dress up, do you dress up the words a little bit more if they need to be? So here's how it works. <laughs> do you do you put a little like you know extra icing on the cake if you may? So for 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 the next gig, which is uh, like I said, the one that's most typical, right? What I do is we would we would send that to you for review, okay? Um, and we'd we'd call it the first draft, okay? And what I would do when I would send that to you is I'd, I'd wait for your feedback to see what you thought, right? And depending on what your feedback was, I I would look at it and I would uh, and this has actually happened before. I would I would actually then respond back to the client and I would say, potentially, we could make these word changes on these captions because it would shorten it You're up. You're so politically correct. Well, well, <laughs> no, actually, it's not PC. It's just being kind to people. You know, you want people you know, to know that, 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 that you respect what they have and yeah. that you think you could make it better, but you also you know, don't want to rock them and you know, make them feel like, well, gotcha. he thinks I'm dumb. And because that's never the case. Right, I know, yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, I do... I do suggest because I am a writer and I can't help myself. Right, right. It, that was my point. Exactly. And it's like, we can make this better for you. And, um, you know, sometimes they take the suggestions and sometimes they don't. But you know what? It's their product. It's theirs, yeah. You know, they can they can do what they want with it. So let's say like the senior gig, that's yeah. your most expensive. I mean, that's over a thousand bucks. Yep. Who, who would get something like that? I mean, somebody that has a... a um, uh, let's just say a, a. I'm trying to think of the right word here to use. Um, well, it's somebody you know, that's going to the C-suite. You know, it's somebody that is a senior executive already. Okay, so it is somebody that's. Yep. Okay. Well, at least that's who we're thinking it is. Yeah. Who else is going to spend that kind of money to um, really polish their brand and promote themselves that way? Yeah. But it it needs to be somebody senior. It needs to be somebody with a record that that they believe merits. Yeah, you know, that kind of branding. Gotcha. And you know, so if you're, you know, it's not going to be an entry level position, probably. I, well, you know what? If, I mean, but but then again, if, to, to some people, Rex, to spend a thousand dollars to make thirty six thousand dollars is a good deal. Yeah, yeah, and it could so, definitely make a difference, <laughs> right? You know, and it and it kind of depends if somebody has that money that they want to invest that way. Let's keep in mind that there are resume writers that you can go to that will charge you six thousand dollars for a resume and a cover letter. Holy cow. And so what we're doing is actually uh, really, really competitive in that in that landscape. Now, most right. most resume writers aren't that much, but they're still going to be uh, six, $600, $900, $1,200. That's actually right. really, really common. And so putting that in perspective, what we're doing is is, is really not that expensive. So, so you have this. Uh, what has been your your one that you've been getting the most business on would it be the one in the middle i actually no. it's the next gig it's really it's, it's the least expensive one and it's kind of curious this is one of those things that you learn you know when you think you're being really smart and it's like well i'm going to have three of these and we're going to price them this way and i think somebody's going to go gravitate toward this we put our best effort certainly in into making our examples for the director gig and the senior gig, you know, we tried making those really special and attractive. Right. Generally speaking, people like the next gig design the best. Yeah. I mean, I like it. It's simple. It's they, cool. They, they love the simplicity. Uh, they, they love the iconography, you know, because everybody gets those things there. Uh, you know, the, the, the example that I gave you is actually from this really wonderful young woman named Lolita. And she has... Really amazing 
history for such a young person. She's probably not not 30 yet. But wow. she worked as a porter at a car dealership. Lolita's driven more new cars than I have. She's driven right. 8,000 cars. <laughs> yeah. what, a, what a cool thing. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I think we put steering wheels for her. Oh, know? yeah. Okay. And it's like that kind of iconography. So they really are custom. Well, they are custom. Yeah, that that's sense. really neat. And um, you know, we match up usually on 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 uh, one of the next gigs. There are five, six, seven, eight, nine different icons that will match with whatever your metric is. Yeah. And so it is still custom. And there's actually quite a bit of design time that goes into those, even though they look pretty simple. Well, just so you know, I sent these to three recruiters that I know, just to get their opinion. You did. I did, and because I wanted to see if they thought. It was as cool as what I thought. And they the first question they said was, does this take the place? And I said, no, you know, because I did my homework. And they're like, this is one of the coolest things I've seen. And they asked me, not having to know anything, they said, why do you like this? I'm like, because it's different. It's almost like the coolest cover letter I ever saw. I love it. So, I, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what you wanted to, to, to for it to mean, but that's what I thought, and that's what people are saying, like, hey, this is flipping cool. Well, I love so. it. And you know what? If those recruiters are, are listening, I hope they get a call, uh, uh, I hope they get a hold of me because, yeah. you know, one of the things, and of course, I've been, I've been in business my whole life, and I ran my own marketing services agency. I've started some other new businesses. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I am trying to make a go of this, and we have a, what in marketing terms they call, we have a multi-channel strategy. So, of course, we're going direct to consumer. But an additional channel is I would love to partner with some, some recruiters, recruiting yeah. firms and those firms that, you know, like Jack Morton, when a whole bunch of people get laid off for an unforeseen reason, they set you up with a package where right. they'll help you with resumes and stuff like that. And I would love to partner with some of those firms and have kind of an affiliation where we become a tool that they use for their clients. That's good. Well, do me a favor. Look right in that camera right yep. there and let people know how they can get a hold of you and as well the website again sure. for this, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And it's called My Career Snapshot. Cool. It's really simple. It's mycareersnapshot.com. And you can uh, email me at info at mycareersnapshot.com. It'll come right to me. And I am crazy about getting back with email so i'll get back to you right away <laughs> well that is so cool hey listen man we are we're down to just a couple couple more minutes so that means that um i want to talk about a couple other projects that you were involved with and sure. one of them is the AAA heritage center oh my goodness how cool is that i mean just looking at pictures of that now yeah. we're going back to you know what you've accomplished and what teams that that you were a part of. I mean, that was pretty neat. Well, the team at Jack Morton was awarded um, a big project with, it's called the Auto Club Group, which is AAA of Michigan and uh, 12 or 13 other states. Uh And they wanted to inspire their employees at their headquarters by by letting them know what the history of AAA actually was. And nobody knows the history of AAA. Right, yeah. You know, AAA invented 
road service in 1915. Really? They inv- so I didn't know that. Yeah. They <laughs> and, inv- I, and, and I am a AAA member for, uh, a forever. Thing. So <laughs> There we go. Well, they, it, it, was, it was first done in St. Louis in 1915. Okay. And guys on motorcycles with sidecars would drive around with spark plugs and wrenches <laughs> and gas cans, and they'd help anybody. Yeah. And then it, it, it grew from there. And uh, AAA was the first to do radio-dispatched trucks. Um, oh, really? Yeah. People, uh, uh, AAA invented triptychs. AAA invented so cool. the travel agency. You know, all of yeah. those things are just really, really special. And the people working at AAA, of course, had no reason to know that. Why would you? Right. And so we were charged with putting together, um, and it's in a, a, a new, in, in a renovated 6,000-square-foot area, and a big team from Jack, some really, really super talented people worked on it. And um, it took me about nine months to do the research, and I and I worked with a couple of other writers, and we put this thing together that just I think knocked it out of the yeah. park. Yeah, it was just amazing when I saw that, and I went and looked, did my homework on it. I mean, I was like, wow, this is like so cool. But one of the things I know a lot about uh, because I spent a lot of time there is the uh, well was brand new Chevy Daytona experience oh down at the uh, Daytona International Speedway. What was that like being a part of something that was so cool? Because uh, I, mean, I love that place. That was that was really really neat. It was. Uh, can I mention names? Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> so uh, Jeff Chu was our direct client on that from Chevrolet. Yep. And he and the Chevy Motorsports team negotiated this fantastic deal when Daytona went through their whole Daytona Rising project when they tore the old grandstands down and yep. they built the new stadium, and they were looking for sponsorship, and Jeff said. Well, Chevy will step up and we'll sponsor one of the injectors, but you got to give us that derelict building that's in the infield. And Daytona that's said Jeff. yes. And then it was like, well, now we got this building. What do we do with it? Right. And so we ended up turning into this multi-purpose uh, facility. We use it to host events, host media, yeah. host guests, and it's actually uh, a pace car garage uh, during during big races when Chevy paces the. Uh, uh, you know, the event, whatever yeah. it might be. That and is really neat. It was uh, 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 designed by a terrific designer out of Boston, and uh, I, he's, he's, he's worked with us so often. That, 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 that part was so cool just because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen you there for all these years yeah. at all these events. I've, you know, did uh, driver appearances there and everything else. I had no idea that you were part and part of the team that, that did that at Daytona. That was so neat. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun, and I can't wait for things to get back to some kind of normal so that everybody can be back down there and enjoy the place again. Hey, listen, just real quick, wrap things up with your website, how they can get a hold of you, um, all over the next couple seconds. Is sure. you right in that camera right there? All right, and <laughs> hey, everybody, thanks again for watching, uh, Johnny. Thanks for having me. I really oh man, you've been it. a blast. The uh, the website is my career snapshot. Dot com, not Snapchat, Snapshot. <laughs> and uh, you can get me at info at mycareersnapshot.com. It's, uh, it's real easy. So thank you ahead of time. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day.